going to invite uh, Jenny Grayston, who's uh, going to come up and read the scriptures for us. Thank you, Jenny. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will, be not, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Well, it's uh, good to be with you again. Uh, half an hour ago, as I... Uh, sat stationary on the M25 just behind an accident. I thought I might not be with you again tonight, uh, but thankfully it cleared very quickly. Uh, I had a sort of few phone calls going on. Uh, because I didn't seem to have anyone's uh, contact number here in my phone, I sort of called Ian back at the manor, because we're at the manor at the moment, we're part of the team on a uh, weeks down there. Uh, and uh, we sort of got things moving and eventually the message got through. Uh, but here we are. It cleared remarkably quickly. Actually, someone in the background, as I was talking to Ian, said, Lord, get them to the service on time. I'm not quite sure who it was, but you know, <laughs> here we are. So, praise God. Good to be with you. Okay, so the Olympics are over for another three years. How will we survive without being glued to our screens? I, yeah, we will survive, okay. Um, but we've seen some achievements over the last uh, couple of weeks, haven't we? Uh, I think the thing that really struck me was the, um, the cycling women's team pursuit, where the Germans carved six seconds off the world record held by the Brits. The Brits then carved a bit more off it. Then the Germans carved some more off it. And you think, how on earth... Does that happen? I don't know, but people work very hard to achieve these things. And as, as we turn into this psalm, what we have here is a, a situation where the psalmist is describing, in the first half at least, people who just work and strive and put all their energy into achieving things. It's almost as though the psalm falls into two halves. Uh, together, they're illustrative of a whole range of human activity. Human activity which in and of itself is good, desirable, but when taken to extremes, just becomes problematic. So the, the first area really centers around work. And again, it subdivides. So at the start, we have people building. Nothing wrong with building. Very desirable. Here we are in a building which is no longer new, but it still feels new to me. You know, it's only the second time I've been in the building. Uh, but building is, is, is great. And it's quite likely, because this is a, a, a psalm of ascent that we think would have been sung by pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem for one of the three annual feasts that they 
were required to come to. It may be that the house here is actually the temple in Jerusalem. So even more desirable to be working on building the house of God. But if the builders are just doing that without God, it's a waste of space. It's futile. And then he turns to another important activity, the guards around the city. There was always the danger that cities would be under attack from various enemies and the guards on the walls and on the gates uh, were key figures. So they're important and they're good. But actually, however good they are, however awake and alert they are, however well they get sound the warning, unless God is involved, it's a waste of time. Uh, and, and then he, he gets a bit more general. Uh, and he, he talks about those people who just work and work and work. Uh, and they're involved in continually more and more frenetic activity. Does this ring any bells? You know, we live in a world where people just seem to be putting more and more energy and effort into things. And actually not achieving anything more. There are people we work with, people we live alongside. We may even experience this ourselves. There is constant pressure to achieve and to put in more energy and more effort. Talking to someone only today uh, who was talking about people who were constantly under pressure to achieve more. Deadlines, timescales, the, the, the number of units you had to make, the number of people you had to visit. And that's the constant pressure of our world. So we can identify with the psalmist who, who, who says, look, you get up early, you stay up late, you break your back uh, toiling for food. But actually, what you're doing in reality is breaking God's rhythm of life. You see that? He grants sleep to those he loves. Now, if you suffer with insomnia, that might be a bit tricky for you. But what the psalmist is saying is, look, there's a rhythm to life. And that rhythm involves work, but it also involves rest. And if you deny that rest, then you're damaging yourself and you're damaging God's creation. This is the whole Sabbath principle that God has built into his world that says, look, there's a time for work and there's a time for rest. And our world desperately needs to hear that message. Um, I mentioned this morning that I'm currently reading a book by uh, the late chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs. And because he's writing from a Jewish background, he makes so much of Sabbath and about Sabbath being a time for rest, for relaxation, for family, for enjoyment. A time for really standing away from work. And I think we could learn something from uh, that about our own uh, observance. So here, here, is, here is God's rhythm for life, which involves work, yes. But that work has got to be balanced by other things. And above all, it's got to be balanced by God's involvement in it. There's a real danger for us, even as Christian people, that we undertake things and we do them in our own strength. I, I find that as a, a, a danger, as a temptation, uh, as a speaker. 
uh, it'd be very easy for me to rely on my training, my experience over the years, um, my Bible knowledge, any of those things. I could rely on those and I could just prepare on that basis and get up here and speak. But you know what? If that's what I did, it would be in vain. It would be a waste of time. The important thing is that I do it in the context of waiting on God. Now, whether I always get that right, whether I do enough of that, that's another matter. And I'm not going to claim that I do. But you see the principle. I could do it in my own strength. And that's true of any bit of Christian work that we undertake. Leading a small group, uh, working with children or young people, uh, whatever it is, it's always far too easy to do it in our own strength. I remember uh, Bill Hybels, sadly now um, disgraced, but uh, I remember Bill Hybels once uh, at a conference I was at saying, you know, I can do it because I'm a professional, but there are times when I run on empty. There are times, in other words, where I don't rely on the strength and the power and the inspiration of God. And uh, to be honest, it's, it, it's too easy just to, to wing it rather than spending time with God. Now, the, these are not arbitrary rules that the psalmist is laying down here. What, what he's doing is he's saying, look, these are things that come to those God loves. He's not laying down the law. He's saying, look, I love you. And because I love you, I've created these rhythms in the world which involve work, which involve relaxation, which involve play. These are good and important things. I was just struck with that uh, opening song uh, and the background there with the waves constantly uh, lapping up on the beach and uh, reminded me of the, the song, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. And a former colleague of mine, now uh, in glory, Used to, he was a Welsh speaker, grew up in Wales, and he said, in the original Welsh of that old Welsh revival hymn, the meaning is not so much the size of the ocean, but the fact that it just keeps on coming and coming and coming, and the waves just keep on lapping on the shore. You can never exhaust the love of God. So, God loves his people, and he wants the best for his people, and that's why he says, look, unless you involve me, in all your activity, it's in vain. And it's interesting, there are some bit of overtones here from some of the things we were looking at this morning. So if you were here with us at either of the services this morning or uh, watching online, you'll catch a few resonances there about the need to involve God in all of life. Life is not in little compartments. It's not a sort of God bit for Sunday and another bit for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The whole thing involves God. And that's what, that's what the psalmist wants here. Uh, and then he sort of changes gear a little bit. And it almost looks like a, a completely separate idea. But if we see these as being illustrative of the whole of life, I think it, it helps us to see that God wants to be part of the whole thing. So he, he then starts to talk about family and the way in which children uh, are a gift from the Lord. Now, I'm very conscious that for some people this is potentially quite difficult. There, there, there is pain 
for many people around childlessness, uh, about not being in a relationship in which children are possible. So anything I say now, I say against the awareness that there is potential pain uh, for some people. And God, because he loves us, is only too aware of that pain. But that doesn't undermine the fact that family life is a gift of God. And in one sense, his intention is that all of us, whatever our marital state, whatever our parental state, are part of a family. And in one sense, the family of God's people almost sits above kinship family. But here he's talking about kinship family. And he's saying, you know what? Children are a gift of God. We may think they're all down to our own human effort. But in fact, he's saying, look, involve God in the relationships that lead to procreation and the bearing of children. These are not things that exist apart from God. Even our sexuality is not something that exists separate from God. It's part and parcel of God's purposes for our lives. So children are a great blessing. Our secular culture just removes God from all of this. Our secular culture removes God from sexuality, which is why we end up in the sort of mess that we end up with, with, with so many of the debates uh, around sexuality, simply because God is just written out of the picture. And it's all about me and my preferences and my desires and my satisfaction and my gratification. But that is not God's way. And God has other ways of working this through. But the psalmist sees it differently. Children, he says, are a gift of God because God is ultimately the giver of life. And he breathes life into each individual. What's the benefit? Well, the benefit is there in that last statement. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Uh, that's NIV, which is just a little bit free here. Uh, really what this is about is in the gates of the old cities in Israel. This is the place people would meet. This is the place they would have their debates. This is the place they would pass judgments. And what he's saying is, look, if you've got a bunch of good, strong, hefty sons and you've got a bit of a debate going on in the gate, then you're in a good position to be defended. People are not going to see you as a pushover when they see these God-given sons that you've got. So they become a source of strength. And as we move, or particularly in ancient Israel, as they moved into old age, so they saw within their families uh, a source of strength. This was their, where their posterity lay. This is where their hope for the future lay within their descendants and their families. That's why you get so many lists in the Old Testament of people and their descendants and so-and-so uh, begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so on. So here is God saying, look, work 
family, every area of life. Involve me in that. Don't, don't leave me out of it. I want to be involved in everything you do, in your work, in your leisure, in your play, in the things you watch, in the things you read, in, in the things you study, in the relationships you have. Nothing, he says, is outside my interest. There is nothing about you that I don't care about. There is nothing about you that I don't want to be involved in. Isn't that amazing? The, 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 the great creator of the universe says to each one of us, I want to be involved in the intimate detail of your life. All the time. And that's why we can safely say that the Lord is our confidence. Our confidence is not in our own efforts. We used to sing an old hymn which said, uh, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Some of you will probably remember it. And it's absolutely true. If we trust in our own strength, yeah, we can keep going for a bit. But ultimately, it's only when we put our trust in God and when our confidence is in him that we can really move forward knowing that we're going to achieve something, knowing that it's not just going to be a load of empty effort that we're pouring into something. But of course, as human beings, we have this incredible spirit of independence. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden, where essentially Adam and Eve said, having been sort of uh, seduced by the serpent, said, you know what? Actually, if we do eat that fruit, you know, we'll be like God. We'll be able to run the show. We actually know better than God does. And that's a spirit which still strikes at the heart of humanity. And we forget that we only really achieve our true purpose and our true identity in relationship with God. So we need, to, we need to cut at that spirit of independence and we need to recognise that it's in relationship with God, in trusting him, that we really can experience a source of confidence in the middle of broken lives and a broken world and a, a stack of temptation. Time and time again, we are told in Scripture that it, it's those who trust in the Lord who are truly blessed. It's those who find their confidence in God rather than in themselves who find out what true success is. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. But what are we tempted to do all the time? To lean on our own understanding. I can do it. Frank Sinatra's great sort of... Um, symbol of the world in which we live. I did it my way. That's what people long for, just that spirit of independence. But only with God does it really work out. And just one final thought about confidence. Uh, the, the Apostle John, in his uh, first letter, picks up this uh, idea of having confidence in God. And in uh, chapter 4, and verse 17, so this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. 
So ultimately, our confidence in God stands us in good stead when we come to this point of facing Jesus. We can have every confidence that we will experience that eternal life which he came to offer because of our trust and our confidence in him. And it's as we have our confidence in God that we know that we have a secure present and a secure future, that we will have that eternal place in his eternal kingdom. So, where do we place our confidence today? Where is our trust? Is it in ourselves and our abilities? Or is it in God? Or is it sort of somewhere in between? And as we share a little bit later on in bread and wine, in a sense, what we're doing is we're saying, you know what? I want to place my confidence all the time in God. I want to put my trust in him. I want to enjoy that relationship with him. I want the whole of my life, every part of it, to be lived out in terms of my relationship with him and my trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the depth of your love for us. We're very conscious that all too often we tend to put our trust in all the wrong things. But our prayer would be that we might really have our confidence rooted in you, in your power, your glory, and your ability to see us through. Please, will you, by your spirit, help us to do just that. Amen.